Where's Fielder? He's gone to the dog. Well, welcome to the third episode of Gone to the Dogs. This is your host, Steve Fielder. That catchy little tune there at the beginning of the podcast is called Highway 29. Not sure where that is. I hear there's one maybe out in Oregon and different places across the United States. But it's a, two t- a toe tapper for sure, and I really enjoyed it. I think at the end of this podcast, I'm going to ask our producer if she'll play a little bit more of that because I always enjoy it. Hey, man, we're here at the time of year that we wait for all year long, and that's October, and the hunting seasons are opening up around the country. I know in my home state of uh, West Virginia, it comes in about the middle of the month. Up in Michigan, where I lived for many years, October 1 was the big day. And uh, I know that uh, the hunter's blood just starts to stir, and the feet get itchy, and it's time to get out there and get amongst them, so to speak. And uh, we're uh, we're just excited about the hunting seasons this year and what they're going to bring. And uh, I look forward to a lot of uh, uh, feedback from you listeners out there. Let me know how your season's going, maybe how that new pup is coming along or that old dog has kind of got his legs stretched out and is doing a good job for you. Uh, but at any rate, we're really excited about hunting season. Now, in our last episode, I uh, kind of covered uh, Ricky Bryant, who won the uh, UKC World Coonhound Championship with his Lumber Joe dog, and I said that I would uh, try to cover the PKC Super Stakes, Fall Super Stakes Championship winners in the next episode, and I want to do that right now. Give a big shout out to these winners. Now, they have actually four divisions in the Super Stakes. They start off at the beginning of the hunt with a sophomore or what they call baby stakes. Uh, No, actually, that's the freshman is what they call the baby stakes. That's for pups that are not yet a year old. And this year's winner was a black and tan. Man, usually walkers dominate these super stakes events but here comes a black and tan called one of a kind owned by harvey and namor are the owners and cleo miller was the handler took home a thousand dollar bill (laughs) so congratulations to those guys then in the one-year-old division the sophomore championship the winner was a little bit of cuz uh that's an eight thousand dollar win for Adam Holloway, the owner, and Sean Bennett, the handler. Uh, big shout out there. Then in the two-year-old division, the juniors, uh, the winner was Little Lacey, took home $10,000. The owner, Jack Maggard II, and the handler was Casey Maggard. And then moving up to the senior division for the three-year-olds, that's the last year of eligibility. Uh, the first place winner was Frogger. Frogger took home $14,000 for owner Birchell Davis Jr. and the handler Eric Pyatt. So I want to give a big shout out to all the Super Stakes winners. Uh, congratulations on uh, uh, having a great run at the fall Super Stakes. Old Cruz and I will be trying for that senior division title 
in the spring, in the spring superstakes, and that'll be his last year of eligibility. Now, on this trip that I took up into Virginia, uh, after the culmination of the Freedom Hunters hunt, uh, in which we were successful in uh, in getting a bear treed and harvested for uh, our veteran, uh, I took a little side trip up to Pennsylvania and hunted with my good friend Randy Smith, uh, who has the Lone Pine Treeing Walkers. Uh, Randy's been very active over the years in breeding these Lone Pine dogs. And I was fortunate to sit down with Randy and uh, we have about 40 minutes here of that conversation, and uh, we're going to go into that uh, conversation now, and then I'll come back to you uh, with some listener questions. So here's Randy Smith and I talking about the Lone Pine Kennel. It's a real privilege for me to be here in uh, southwest Pennsylvania with my good friend Randy Smith. Uh, I'm up to pick up a pup for a friend in Virginia, but mainly I'm here to visit with Randy because that's what I like to do. He feeds me well, gives me a great place to sleep, and rides me around in the side-by-side and gets me close to all the trees. (laughs) How you doing, Randy? I'm great. How about yourself? Oh, I couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. It's right at the first uh, of October, I think. Actually, t- is today the first? I believe it is. Yeah. Yes. It does the coon season come in on the first here? Coon season comes in usually the third week in October. Okay, so we're getting close. Yeah, yeah. But we can train year round here, so it's coon season every day of the year. <laughs> Well, you're fortunate to live in a beautiful part of the world, and you're out here in the country where you got a little room to spread out. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. We visited before on a podcast, but I want to kind of go back and do a little backstory a little bit and talk about the the foundation of your um, now famous Lone Pine Kennels and uh, and all of that, but... um, just give us a little bio uh, who Randy Smith is, where you, where you were born, a uh, little bit of your uh, growing up and, and what you're doing now for a living and, and yeah. that sort of thing. Well, I grew up right here on the, f- the farm where I built my house here. So I've been right here my whole life and uh, just grew up on a dairy farm and we other than work to do, what we did was outdoor activities, and for me that was trapping and fishing and hunting anything I could shoot with a twenty-two rifle, pretty much. And it was a, it was good. We didn't have enough, we didn't have much, but we had plenty. And uh, I grew up in a Christian home where my mom made sure we were in church every Sunday, and we do the same with our kids now. And uh, I just couldn't be blessed any more than what I am. Well, I noticed last night, uh, you know, when I got here, of course, uh, you told me to come hungry. Yeah. And <laughs> when I got here, you had, uh, you guys had quite a, uh, a fish fry there with some fresh walleye and and all the trimmings. Believe me, it was delicious. But I was talking to your mother just a little bit. We were sitting around the fire pit there and all. A beautiful fall evening, and uh, I could just tell that she was proud that Troy, your oldest boy, and of course she's proud of both. She told me all about Cole's 
motorcycle adventures and yeah. all and he's a dirt bike guy yeah and uh but she's you know proud that the grandchildren are kind of taken after it and seemed to be kind of especially proud that troy was was hunting and all and i guess she having raised boys herself you know yeah she is and we're we're all proud of them they're they they're good boys they do well in school and they work hard here when they want when we want them to and they play just as hard and they're different in what they like to do in their pastimes and troy took after what i like to do which is really set my heart on fire sure so well you know just uh i always say parenting pays and uh, when i drove up yesterday the boys were out there stopped us a lot you know about the way they've been raised but uh well listen um yeah, growing up here in in uh, Pennsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So that gave you a lot of opportunities to get out and and. Yeah, we farmed uh, about a thousand acres around here, and in a lot of parts of the country, that isn't a lot. But where we live here in the mountains, where it's a few acres at a time, it was a lot of different farms and a lot of different fields, and that I had access to 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 trap fox and to just ramble on and do whatever I wanted, which was great. And I uh, didn't get a coon hound until my junior year in high school. And then that started yeah. another venture. Yeah. yeah, But you started trapping early on, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I trapped with my older brother, Jeff, oh, from the time that he would bother to take me. And I caught my first red fox whenever I was uh, 12, I think. And... I, I, I've loved that. The, the, anything fur aspect to the outdoors has been my passion my whole life. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a shame. We talked a little bit last night also. As we're riding around in your, uh, what is that thing, a Can-Am? Yeah, Can-Am. Yeah, mm-hmm. with the, I think it was the first, I remember when you got that a couple of years ago. I think that's the first uh, side by side I rode in with power windows and a windshield wiper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a nice machine. Yeah. But, uh yeah, we were talking about the fur market and yeah. uh years ago whenever the fur market crashed here, it's been about eight years ago now, I put in a a big walk in freezer so I could still trap like like I wanted to and act like I was gonna be able to get good return on it, but it's been a long wait and the freezer's full now and we're <laughs> we've been kind of slowed up here yeah. now about about the trapping part of it so it's just what it is hopefully it'll turn around yeah well i think it was though that you were telling me about you know how exciting it was as a kid to go out before school in the morning run your trap line and come in and show show what you caught the night before brought it right in the kitchen i think yeah you bring it in wherever (laughs) my mom wanted to see it and it was all a big deal because back then whenever the fur prices were high there were there were local professional trappers just about everywhere. So when a kid would get get his nose stuck in there and and catch some foxes, <laughs> that was a pretty big yeah. deal then. And I took it serious from then on yeah. in. And pretty yeah. soon I was the one they were calling the professional around. You know? Yeah, really. Yeah. Well, you're a passionate guy. All your friends know that that uh, whatever you go after, you you hit it pretty hard. And I can imagine. Yeah. You kind of remind me of like my grandmother, you know, she had three boys raised on a farm in Tennessee 
and back during the Depression. But the boys had uh, a couple of cur dogs, and they hunted a lot. And she kept track of the number of squirrels yeah. that they brought in, you know. And, and I remember my dad telling me one time, his mother said, uh, uh, do you know how many squirrels you, you boys killed this year? And and dad said no. And she brought out the number, and it was quite a quite a number of squirrels oh, you know all to the, go back to the day whenever that was an important thing to know exactly yeah. exactly somebody said uh, you know the farther we get away from the family farm the more uh we lose touch with reality and i, I think that's true i think it's very true yeah, yeah for sure well let's go into the coon hunting aspects and then i got a few questions that i want to ask you uh that about, you know, how your philosophy of breeding dogs, and, of course, you're certainly a competitor. I think you got a couple of dogs that are on the way right now as we're talking down to one of the pro sport truck hunts. Yeah. And I know mm-hmm. that you like to get out there and compete at the high level, and uh, I want to talk about that for sure. But just a little bit of backstory about the Lone Pine dogs as as you know them and, and you know, how you got into that i guess to preface this you know we see a lot of people that get involved in competition coon hunting but they're they're continually looking for a dog to buy to hunt where you've kind of taken a different road i think you've chosen to more breed your own i always had been fascinated whenever i got into the coon hunting sport that the pedigrees in the in the american cooner and studying all what successful crosses looked like and it was it it was uh something that just struck me as as a passionate uh endeavor to try to produce my own dogs that I would be pleased with and it was there's a lot of bumpy roads to take throughout all that if you're going to try to you know breed and train and promote a a performance animal it's not easy but it seems like through the years here, as uh, we've Tom and I have been breeding dogs, and it has gotten easier here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we got the product that um, you you can count on pretty much as youngsters that they're going to be a whole lot like their their moms, you know, and so that's been even more rewarding. Well, you know, I came up, I think, the first time a couple of years ago. Maybe it's been longer than that now because maybe close to three. Yeah. yeah. I think this but three. as I came up to to get the cruise pup that I got from you, and, and of course, I've enjoyed cruise a lot. Uh, cruise, if he had had a younger man with him, I think we'd have, you know, been hearing a lot of news about cruise. But, uh, but I, uh, you know, and then coming back last night, uh, we hunted, uh, what, a couple hours, maybe three uh, hours? We hunted maybe three and a half three, or four mm-hmm. hours, something like that. And yeah. uh, typically, when I come up here to hunt, we usually cut a dog loose at a time. And last night, we had the privilege of having Troy along. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he's got this young female, Bertha, out of the world champion, Biffy Sue. And Lone Pine Louie, I believe, Correct, right? Correct, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Troy <laughs> and that dog, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in time. I think so. She's she's really been a wild woman for her age all along. We've been 
reliably treeing coons with her since she's been eight months old. You yeah. Know, yeah. And, uh, well, I can say yeah. that she treed three singles last night, and we looked at all of them and yeah. did a nice job on them. And, and you know, one time really took a quite a long uh, hunt there. I, I don't know if actual distance she traveled i don't know how far it i'd would say be. three quarters of a mile yeah, she yeah. traveled to and these coon were in, up in the acorns and they weren't they weren't you know leaving a lot of tracks on the ground no, no, she, she was nailing them <laughs> yeah she's good on the recut she'll get right in there and get after one that she can yeah. she, she can score on you know right. she's uh she's she's an amazing young dog she's coming along really yeah. good well the point being you know these dogs and i don't want to i don't want to jump ahead but you know i i witnessed that back when lady and and uh was a puppy at eight months old and saw her tree a couple uh tracks and had two coons on each tree on a windy night and yeah. she was in there a good distance and eight months old yeah at the time yeah. <laughs> so yeah. i i think it's pretty well established these dogs are starting young but i i want to hold that just for a minute because i want to get into you know what kind of what you think about when it's time to breed dogs but give us a little more of the backstory of the lone pine dogs in your in your experience yeah they they started in uh down in woodbine maryland and stanley duvall had a single registered female uh she was half english dog half black and white walker dog and they stanley bred her there were two local dogs that were litter mates finley river pete and finley river spike and he kept her bred her whole life to those two dogs there and uh that's where the Lone Pine dogs started, and, and Blaine McGill heard about them, and he would go down to Stanley's place, and Stanley would keep them there till they were five, four, five, six months old, and Blaine would go and buy as many of them as he could get bought and bring them back into southwestern PA, and they really took off here. And then in eastern Pennsylvania, uh, there were guys that, that bred them and so Pennsylvania at one time was the Lone Pine State here in in northern Maryland and so yeah they were always popular here in Pennsylvania yeah. so that's where they started right down there right. well um coming down to the dogs that you have right now kind of hit the high spots of some of the dogs they're in the backgrounds of these uh, well when I met Tom Strang shortly after he uh, had an accident there and became paralyzed. He he owned two dogs out of uh, Logan's Clover and Lone Pine Chris. And I had, whenever I met Tom, I had already had Lone Pine dogs that were, I had a nephew to Ellie and Jethro that was out of Lone Pine Nailer, a Woody Malone's, and I had a dog out of Lone River Gunner that I called Brutus that I sold later on to John Monroe. But uh, when Tom and I got together, we got to be partners on Ellie and we just build on it from there. And that, that cross between Logan's Clover and Lone Pine Chris, Chris was out of Tom's Lone Pine Toby, and he was a direct son of Finley River Pete and Lone Pine Lady. So Tom's Toby was the, you know, the start of his Lone Pine dogs. And I've not had any other dogs, but those here since uh, the early nineties. Right. 
Well, there's been some real standouts, and uh, you kind of have uh, a preference for females, don't you? Yeah, I like to hunt a female. We, I have had a few males through the years, but the only way for me to go a, any direction that I want to with a breeding program is to have as many world-class females as I can have, and then I try to find the right stud dogs that are reproducing the kind of dogs that we like and keep them bred like that. And the the advancement of artificial breeding with dogs has really helped me to go back to the well, so to speak, with dogs that I want to. And Well, I know you just recently reached back to a popular stud dog uh, of the past. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I have semen on track, man, and I had bred a couple females to him, oh, I guess it's probably 15 years ago now or somewhere around there. And uh, maybe, lo- no, it's been longer than that because when I first got married, I bred Patsy to Trackman, so it's been tw- over 20. So anyway, I had a few breedings of Trackman, and I've been waiting for years now for the right female to breed to him. And we own a female called Jillian that's out of Sioux and bone collector and she's carrying pups right now out of track man awesome. so that's exciting yeah but, and sue's the world champion yeah and that i had two females that we used out of track man one was out of uh hall of fame lone pine honey buns and the other female was out of lone pine patsy both daughters of lone pine cowboy and uh both girl and miss quickie were on the top reproducers list for years so not only were they great dogs to hunt with they were super reproducers so we're excited about what the future will bring out of these that are coming here well you know uh, just to kind of throw in a little personal experience you know i really like this cruise dog that i got from you there's a lot of things i really like about that dog i like its temperament i like the brains that he has I love the mouth that he has. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah, outstanding. He's tree dog, as Frank Giddings said, you know, he's got it on both ends. He was a little bit, you know, over anxious maybe on a few trees, you know, coming along. He's really improved on that. But the reason I'm saying all that, not to brag on my dog, because I know he could be better, uh, but that's all about hunting. I don't think that has anything to do with his breeding. But he's got, track man twice on his third generation yeah through your breed yeah Yeah. he's a line bred he was out of bill hartman's cruiser which was a litter mate to baby out of bone and miss quickie and then thelma was out of sue's brother rex that i had and lone pine track girl so quickie and track girl or the influence from that there yep right okay well um what i wanted to talk to you a little bit uh, about and I will mention, uh, you know, which of your dogs are in the Hall of Fame now? Dream uh, Lone Pine Honey Buns and Track Girl. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we talked uh, 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 quite a bit over the last months and weeks or whatever about the different kinds of dogs that are winning today and so forth. And uh, and I I think the interesting story about that is I know that. You know, certainly you like the Lone Pine breeding. It's been real successful for you. 
but you saw the night hunt starting to change a little bit, the type of dog that was winning more consistently. When you saw that, you know, what were you thinking? What what did you decide to do about it? Well, you can, with anything in life, you, you can either, you know, when you're, <laughs> when you're in Russia, you do what the Russians do, or you're not going <laughs> to, it's not going <laughs> to work out too good, right? right. So, uh, you know, the, the dogs back whenever I first started competition hunting would, uh, you know, when you sent them in there, they were hunting together. You were looking for a quick strike dog and a dog that would definitely get treed really quick and have a coon when it treed. And then what you were hoping for throughout the night is if dogs made a slip up and treed on a wrong tree or whatever, you'd be sitting over there with the coon and that would be the dead ringer to the to winning most of the time. And to look forward now, if you were hunting that kind of a dog, you it would practically be an embarrassment almost. You know, if you had a dog that was hiking along with another dog, the way the hunts are now where you're not spot hunting anymore and you're uh, staying in the same woods for the, the entire hunt, those dogs have to be independent and... Uh, you know, quick to get in the country and they're not packing up or together. And it's, it's really evolved into a total different game right now. And so, uh, we've looked, sought out those kind of dogs and only breed to the kind of dogs that it takes to win now. And we're still in contention. So that's how it has to be. If you want to stay with it and I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed years ago whenever the hunts were action-packed, and I think the younger hunters would probably enjoy it more. You're not walking mile after mile in the same woods from one tree over half a mile to another dog, and it was quick off the tailgate, see how quick you could tree a coon. And that was exciting times in competition hunting, but it's a different game now. Oh, absolutely. I repeatedly say, and more often, it's a young man's game. There was a time when I loved competition hunting. And then when I went to work for the registries, I loved to go along. You know, they they practically had a hog time me to keep me off those final fours, you know, to go out and, and listen to these dogs. And uh, But, uh, yeah, it definitely has changed. And I know uh, I was listening to Jerry Maul uh, talk uh uh, yesterday on the drive up on a podcast about you know how it's changed and how maybe he thinks that this may come around in full circle uh maybe not for the reason you might think you know we know that hunting territory is getting harder to find and these big hunting dogs there's certain areas of the country where they'll work there's other areas of the country where they won't because they'll simply out hunt their mouth or whatever sure. you know or or get it somewhere where they shouldn't be. But I think his his take on it was, well, you know, when you get those dogs that will hunt fairly close but still find those coons and tree, you know, it may evolve back to that. I don't know. You think? Well, it, it's, it's you know, history has a tendency to do that. So I guess we'll just see. But for the time being now, I know what it's going to take to win. So mm-hmm. that's what we're yeah, trying absolutely. to produce. Absolutely. Yep, but, um, oh, I enjoy seeing a coon or a dog, you know, pick coons off in a woods and and all. But I I enjoy seeing them 
get out there and get their mm-hmm. legs stretched and get burning yeah. rubber and get get out there and yeah. get planted too. It's it's all fun. Yeah. Well, I think we saw it both ways last night. Yeah. You know, we did. with the with the birth of female um, Troy's dog. You know, she was finding those coons laying up in those acorns, and then uh, then Bella, the the uh, uh, bone collector female out of your friend female. Uh, she was kind of take, as they say, taking her tracks as she came to them, you know, working them out and getting treated. And we we ended up seeing six coons last night. Yeah, it was a great it was a hunt. Nice hunt, yep. really. Yeah, there those we we have some exceptionally good ones right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we do. Well, part of the reason I came up, I'm always looking for an excuse to get up here, you know. But uh, one of the fellows down in Virginia there near my brother has purchased a, a nice puppy from me, and I'm going to uh, take him back. So that gave me a good excuse to come here yeah. up and pick that up. Now, what's that pup out of? That, that pup's out of uh, Burden's uh, Cooney Valley Pack and Fran. And Fran was out of Tree Slamming Frankie and Track Girl. So that I know that that pack is... He's known far and wide to be a real coon dog. So I wanted to try one of the dogs out of Power Pack and Easy. That's really a hot cross. So right. So yeah. we give it a shot here. I think he'll be well pleased. He's a beautiful pup. Yeah, he certainly is. Well, I think that speaks to kind of in your philosophy. You know, I, I think a lot of times people either get hung up in this idea of breed what's in the backyard, you know, and don't don't uh, admit that somebody else maybe has something that can improve your program. But I don't think that's ever been your philosophy. Yet. No, I've tried to seek out the best ones that I could find, no matter where they were. And you know, back in the time, whenever I we we had to put the money together to make it happen, Tom and I would ship dogs on planes and do whatever it took to get them where we needed to get. And uh, it sometimes it was well rewarded and sometimes it was a flop, but that's breeding dogs and uh it's been a long road getting here right now, but the, the consistency of what we're getting out of young dogs now is so good that it's surprising almost, you know. But right now we we can count on it when we get one started that they're yeah. headed to in a good direction. Sure, sure. Well, you've certainly been successful, Randy, in all areas of life, and the devotion that you've put into these hounds and keeping that Lone Pine uh, bloodline alive and improving on it has been the big thing. I, I don't think there's any question that the dogs that you're producing now are uh, are uh, better, uh, as, as have gotten better as the years go by. Yeah, I know that definitely you've improved the looks on the of the Lone Pine dog <laughs> yeah. from the very earliest days, but it goes a lot deeper than that, from what I see. Yeah, that uh, it's if you you should be constantly trying to improve. If you're not, you're definitely going to go backwards, no matter what you're doing. So, you know, just trying all the time to uh, have the right dog. And the main thing about breeding dogs that I think is is that you're not if you're if you're not just about perfectly satisfied with either one of the parents, they probably shouldn't be breeding them. You know, if you if you think that you're going to breed a dog that's weak in some area to a dog that's strong in that area and think that it's going to work out as it can, but it consistently... The odds are not there. Odds are, are not there. Yep. Yeah. 
Well, you know, and, and realistically, I think we were talking last night, we were talking about a particular litter, and all the puppies in that litter turned out really well, but one. You know, that's going to happen. Yep. You know, you're going to get that. And if anybody figures out why that happens, I think, you know, and shares it or writes a book, it'll probably be a, be- a bestseller. But, uh, well, coonhounds have to be such a complete animal in order to be rated top class. They have to do it all. I think it's such a, it's amazing that so many of them really end up doing everything that you expect them to do. You know, the hunting, the, you know, if you like a good open trail and good strike dog and dogs, that stay, you know, they got to stay treed. They got to have a coon. They got to have a good mouth. They got, and then if you have them where they are like pleasing to the eye and everything, it's hard to imagine you could ever right. come up with that really. Right. Well, uh, that brings uh, something to mind to me. All of the Lone Pine dogs that I've hunted with in the last three years have been exceptional tree dogs, really nice tree dogs. Were the Lone Pine dogs good tree dogs from the start? Yeah, they really they they were. Yep, they were. They were typically, whenever the 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 original dogs out of Lady and Pete and Spike, they were, I would say, semi silent on the ground, really quick tree dogs, and uh, they were independent right from the beginning, and uh, uh, a lot of them had a little possessiveness in the in the tree and part of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just a fact, you know, people that know, know that. And uh, that's something that I've bred out of them now. And uh, it's that's the way that they were. They were long-haired, ticked-up, rough-looking dogs. Yep. That's what they were. Yeah. And uh, we got past a lot of that. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, as I saw from from the first time I came up and went hunting with you, we hunted the Fran female. And we hunted shot separately. They both went hunting exceptionally well. You know, there was no loose barking running around all over, but covered a lot of ground, moved around really good, you know, sought out the places where I'd look for a coon, you know. So um, I did. I haven't seen any, you know, tree happiness and all. And I don't think that's a factor in the dogs so much anymore. Do you? It's came a long way there. There was a time period, uh, maybe 10 years ago, that the dogs were just like, we talked about it last night, when you turned a young dog loose, the first thing that they did was be running around checking trees. And uh, yeah. it, was a, it was kind of a, I think it was kind of a sad time in coon hunting whenever these dogs were just tree and wrong all the time. And it was hard to find a stud dog that was accurate and it was you know not a counterfeit you know so many of them they just made trees and didn't tree any coons and we uh you know were blindsided somewhat by breeding the dogs that we that had won a lot and were supposed to be for real and they weren't so it's been a real project to get past tree happy dogs and i never we didn't keep any that were never bred any that were if i had one, if i had any that you know treed wrong too much we either called them or somebody else owned them and right. never used them in the breeding program and it's really showing now and we can find dogs we bred to some really really super dogs over the past 10 or 15 years here that have 
you know, really helped us get where we are right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's an incident, and I have my stories, you know, and as when you're as old as I am, you've got a lot of memories and those translating stories. And I promised the listeners when I started this podcast that there'd be stories along. And I rem- I remember going, I think, one of the first Walker days that I went to after I went to UKC. And I walked along on the cast with a fellow from West Virginia that I've known for a long time, and he's since passed away. His name was Dale Prunty. And Dale, I was hunting a dog for another good friend of mine, Claire Chenoweth, who was a Ford dealer there in Clarksburg, West Virginia. I know them both. Yeah, yeah. of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. And uh, at that time, uh, Dale was hunting a dog called Bigger Staff's Little Buck. I think he was like an NKC world champion or something. They had a van with a big picture of him painted exactly. on the side of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Well, we went out that night, and I don't remember any of the names of the other hunters, but we, we cut those dogs loose, and three of the dogs on that cast would just load up on the first big tree they came to. I mean, and these guys were in there. And I remember coming out of the hills of West Virginia, you know, of course, I competition hunting, hunted and, and all, but these guys were, each one was Mr. Coon Hunter. They had all the latest gear. They had all the big lights. They had all the big boots. They had everything, but they would go into those trees and boy, just as soon as they got there, they'd go slapping the ribs on those dogs and speaking to them. And old Buck, he would slide out here somewhere. Coon, uh-huh. you know, and he did that two or three times that night in that cast. And I thought, man, these guys think they're coon hunting. They've got all the elements of a coon hunt except a coon dog. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I, I've never forgotten that. You yeah. Know? It's always has been impressive to me when a dog would check a tree that dogs were treed on there and say, I don't think it's there. That's exactly what he that's, was doing. Yeah. yeah that, that takes, that <laughs> took a dog that had a lot of brains to oh, yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah that's impressive. Sure. Absolutely. Well, Randy, we've kind of covered, uh, shine the tree here a little bit. Is there anything that comes to mind to you that, uh, we probably should have talked about in this? this well, segment? I just, I, I have guys here that are, uh, competition hunting now and putting these dogs in the woods like every available moment and Rick Strouser and Gordy Dranek and uh, Austin Ewing, Danny Carr, Kyle Preston, you know, it's like Troy Smith, Troy Smith <laughs> saved the he's best for last. Quite, he's become <laughs> quite the competition hunter yeah, lately. Yeah, I said to Steve last night, I said, now watch him when he goes up there to turn that dog loose. He gets her all lined up the way he wants her and puts his bright light out straight ahead. And yeah. he's intense and serious oh, about yeah. it. And he's he's really proud of that dog. But I'm really proud of these guys that will drive all over the countryside and stay up all night and put them out there to where I'm I'm putting my homework into that boy here and. uh they're out there, and I, I really appreciate everything that they do for me and, uh, you know, how much better could it get than you see people really enjoying dogs that you started oh, yeah. and bred and everything. It's sure, uh, it's sure. it's really been a, a really good ride for me. You know, a lot of people would look at this sport and say, oh, they coon hunt, you know. I mean, they're, it's 
but if you're really passionate about this sport and you know what it takes to get to where you are and there's you know you look at a young dog like we did last night that represents like nine generations of dogs that were born in the same dog box and trained and bred and started the whole deal right campaigned and everything from the same place it's really tough to do that oh yeah yeah you have to really be dedicated and um i just love love everything about it i love coon hunting i love uh the good guys that i'm surrounded with you know that you know the whole night whenever you're out hunting you're getting videos popping in and oh yeah everybody's out there tree and coons and really living a dream you know so yeah it's a simple thing for country folks to you know when you're involved in this but i mean how much more wholesome a sport could you be into when you're out there by yourself and it's in the fall like this couldn't be any prettier you know it's yeah yeah, it's it's a good it's been a good thing for me well it has for me too randy and probably the best part of it is friends like you and coming here and spending some time with you and your family they seem like my family now and uh, just been so welcoming and and all and uh, it's uh, well i think the lesson here for anybody out there listening that wants to get into breeding dogs it's not an overnight deal it's not something that you can just pick dog a and dog b and start selling puppies no it's not it's it's really not and it's uh you know today you can look at dogs that don't have to do anything but tear the house up and people will spend thirty five hundred dollars <laughs> for a dog that you know probably yeah. so many times you know a day they wish they'd have never seen it and these dogs that we have are you know like just dedicated breeding and all this work and it's it's uh it's a whole different thing you know but uh oh i I just like i said i i've dedicated my life to it and uh there's been ups and downs but right now it's a you know especially with my boy and these guys that are hunting for me and it's it's like high tide right now it's as good as it could get how old is troy troy's 14 yeah yeah. What a future ahead. What a heritage he has, you know, to build that future on. So. Yeah. yeah. We were riding last night, and I said, hey, Steve, he gets a pro hound that comes in the mail with his name right on it. And he just, he couldn't, he couldn't contain it. He had to put a great big <laughs> smile across his face. And yeah, it's, 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 yeah. it's all good, you know, but. Um, I asked him, I said, Troy, which rules we hunting under tonight, UKC or PKC? You want 200 or you want 225 on that gun? He said, that 225 sounds better to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, we, we always have a good time whenever you come and it's, uh, it adds to it when there's a youngster to go along. Oh, absolutely. I was thinking about that last night. That just adds such a great dimension to your hunt. Yeah. To have a young guy along that's excited about it and, and all. And, of course, it takes us back when we were kids, you know. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely the future. And, and I think there's a certainly a great future in the Lone Pine Dogs, uh, not only through you, Randy, but through your boys to in the years to come. So. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah I did I too. So. 
Well, I think that's probably going to shine the tree for this visit. If you'll have me back, we'll talk again sometime. Oh, that'd sometime. be great, Steve. And I'd just like to I – I wanted to remind you of something that I I tried to give you a little compliment a, a while back. If you remember, I said, there's a there's a customer of mine whenever she sends her sends her bill in, you know, she she writes like an old English style on there, just beautiful writing. And I told Steve that through his career in in the Coonhound registries and everything that his signature on this sport is that old world writing that you see like on the Declaration of Independence that Steve has dedicated his life to the betterment of the registries and to getting the word out there about coon hunters that maybe you wouldn't know about that have dedicated their life to promoting better dogs. And I just think that uh, there's, I say thank you to having such a good friend as you, Steve. And I've always been impressed with your your part in all the registries, UKC and PKC, AKC, tried to do everything you could do for the coon hunter and for the sport. And I just appreciate everything that you've done through the years. Well, thank you, Randy. I appreciate that too. It's been a great ride for me and uh, it's people like you and the many friends that I've made that's made it all worthwhile. So thank you for those kind words. Well, that's going to conclude our interview, our session here with uh, uh, the owner uh, and founder of the Lone Pine Kennels here in uh, Catanning, Pennsylvania. And Randy, it's been a great visit, and I look forward to doing it again. I hope we can real soon. Okay. All right. Always an enjoyable time visiting with Randy Smith, and now his son Troy Smith getting involved in coon hunting. It's an exciting time for that family, and we certainly wish them the best. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Now, we do have a listener question here that comes from Elijah Burnett. Uh, Elijah lives, I believe, in Crossville, Tennessee. And he presents an interesting question here that I think uh, bears some comment as we close out this podcast today. Uh, Here's the uh, message that I received from Elijah. Hey, I was listening to another podcast yesterday. And a guy shared his opinion, and I wanted your two cents worth. That's about all I've got (laughs) to share with you, Elijah. Um, He said, in regards to personal safety, that if a dog trees across a bayou or creek or something that, as far as he's concerned, the dog will be there in the morning and that he'll get it then. Honestly, find that appalling. The way I see it is every time I unsnap a dog, it's my job to do everything I can to make sure that dog gets home safely. I won't leave a dog in the woods no matter the situation. I feel that these dogs we're so fond of us fond of give us more of their heart and effort than deserve to be left on a tree all night and potentially have to deal with coyotes or heat exhaustion. Basically, I think it's a bigger risk of the dog dying than it is of me getting hurt. What are your thoughts on this? Well, Elijah, I do have some thoughts on this subject. And of course, you know, uh, the term, uh, you follow your hounds, I'll follow mine, came from my dad and, and his friend John Harris. And I've always prescribed to that uh, philosophy that 
you know, follow that dog, recover that dog, get that dog back safely home, uh, no matter the effort that it takes. And I know in the old days before we had tracking devices, sometimes that meant uh, leaving a dog out on the mountain because you simply didn't have any idea where the dog was, especially bear hunting. And we've heard the stories of the way the guys used to lay their coats out, uh, you know, where they cut the dog loose and the dog would be there in the morning. Well, uh, uh, you know, in today's atmosphere, it's a lot different. We generally know where that dog is uh, due to the GPS collars. Um, but there comes, a, and of course, we're all dedicated to bringing that dog home. You know, we want to go get the dog, recover the dog, get it safely back. There have been instances over the years that I've witnessed in my experience where hunters were actually killed trying to retrieve their dogs. And there was an unfortunate incident uh, before my time at the AKC at their world hunt. I believe it was in Chillicothe, Ohio, where a hunter attempting to recover his dog across deep water um, was drowned. And uh, there was quite a process there where it required the use of cadaver dogs to come in and so forth and find and recover the body. A very terrible, terrible thing to happen. I also remember when I was in Michigan, some prominent hunters in the Upper Peninsula uh, that I believe were bobcat hunting at the time uh, were drowned as well. you know, there are situations where we do have to put our personal safety ahead of that of the dogs. Um, hunting in the White River uh, Sanctuary or Wildlife Refuge sometimes presents a situation where the dogs are treed behind water, as we say. In other words, the water's too deep to wade and to get around. Um, some of the rules, and I, I believe this was in the AKC rules that we wrote, and it may be in others, uh, say that you should not attempt to cross swimming water uh, to recover the dog. Uh, if the dog is treated in that type of situation, then sometimes the only solution is to try to secure a boat or, or canoe or whatever to go and recover the dog. Uh, so. You know, it's just too dangerous at times, especially we wear these waders, you know, these frog leg type waders with a a chap sewed to the top of our boots. You get out in that water and they fill up and all of a sudden, you know, you're weighing a whole lot more than you normally would. And it prevents you uh, being able to swim should you uh, step off in a deep hole. So certainly, you know, we don't want to go into a spot that's going to uh, result in us or our hunting partners losing their lives. Another situation is a dog that climbs up in a tree and gets, uh, uh, you know, fouled up there to where he can't get back down. And, uh, you know, we had this situation on the White River one time with a dog that got uh, treed up in a tree. We knew where the dog was. Uh, we couldn't coax her back down. Uh, we made every effort to do that, and I simply had to go back to the camp. And as soon as morning dawned and we could get a hold of uh, 
one of the park rangers, we asked permission to drive our vehicle uh, close to the dog so that we could get up on top of the vehicle, up on top of a dog box. And uh, using a pole, we were able to to, uh, coax her down. And she was up there for a total of 14 hours. So not certainly we didn't leave her there because we didn't care about her. Uh, we simply had to leave her there because we had no other recourse. So sometimes things like that do happen. And, of course, our personal safety is always more important than that of the dog. But uh, I think the hunter's creed is if that dog is treed or wherever it, it, wherever it is, we're going to try to safely recover that dog and bring it home with us. So um, I don't know if this letter or the, this person on another podcast meant that if the dog was inconvenient, just leave it. It'll be there in the morning, a kind of a lazy fair attitude about it. I don't know that. I didn't hear the podcast or know, but uh, two Two thoughts. One, yes, try to recover your dog if at all possible. But number two, please don't put yourself in danger uh, in your attempt to recover the dog. Uh, When it all comes down uh, to where the rubber meets the road, you're more important to your family and your friends than even these dogs that we love so much. Well, that's all I have for this week. I thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And if our director, Shannon, will uh, indulge me a little bit, I want her to play a little more of that Highway 29 music as we go. And uh, anybody ask you where Fielder is, tell them he's gone to the dogs. <laughs>